Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. For Series 5 of the podcast, we are collaborating with the Freelance Journalism Assembly. They are part of the European Journalism Centre and they offer a great set of resources for freelance journalists, including a series of reporting guides. Yes, and all of these resources are free to access, including their upcoming Freelance Journalism Empowerment Conference, which which is on the 8th to the 10th of June. So head over to journalismassembly.com to find out and sign up. Yeah, so this series we're going to be covering a range of topics that have been at the top of their agenda, but also that um, were on our list as things that we were really keen to cover. Yeah, and today's topic is on collaborative journalism, and we're going to dig into how this works for freelance journalists. First, though, we're going to have a quick catch up, and we're not going to say we've had a really busy week because we're going to sound like broken records if we start doing that. Um, But one good thing is that we've had loads of really great responses to our call out for ideas for our new guest voices slot in the newsletter. Yes, we had the first one in this week and we're really excited to showcase some different views and perspectives about freelancing. Uh, We're going to be aiming for about one a month Um, and in an unexpected turn of events, we have actually got a little bit ahead of ourselves on the newsletter and have some in the bag. So we're very pleased to be organised for once. Um, If you haven't, if you have submitted something to our guest voices form and you haven't heard anything yet, Uh, we will be in touch with you. We're not ignoring you, don't worry. Um, I'm actually taking two and a half days off next week for half term, which is very unlike me. I know. I feel like I'm turning over a whole new leaf. (laughs) I'm taking four off, so there. Oh, yeah, you win. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to our topic and bringing our guests. We're going to talk this week about collaborative journalism and all of the pros and cons and the practicalities. I've got a little bit of experience of this, not kind of on any any great big scale, um, but I did do an article uh, right at the beginning of last year where I actually hired an intern to work with on a freedom of information story that involved a lot of data. Um, And basically I needed someone to go through about 350 emails and input all the data from those so I figured I would hire someone to do it Um, but what was really great was he was a journalism trainee but he was really good at number crunching had a really kind of different perspective but also he understand um, understood local government which is what it was about Um, So we kind of did end up working together on that. We got a joint byline um, and the story's actually now been nominated for an award. And the person I work with is now um, working as a local democracy reporter. It's Ethan Davies at the Chester Standard. So that actually worked really well for me. And it was just a kind of nice little taster, I guess, of some form of collaborative journalism and working with someone else on on a big investigation. How about you, Emma? Um, yeah, not not a huge amount of experience on this. I mean, obviously, we've collaborated a lot on the book and on articles and on all things FFJ. Um, but in terms of 
as a journalist, I'm usually a bit of a sort of lone wolf. I've done joint work with staff journalists when there's been a big investigative project and I've kind of taken on part of a role, um, but not really with other freelancers on a larger sort of scale. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more today about how that works in practice um, and kind of how to how to make a go of it. Yeah, definitely. And we've got some great guests on today to help us with that. But before we pick their brains, um, we're going to start with our quick top tip. So um, mine on this really is about finding the right people to work with and taking your time. I certainly know just from my limited experience, um, I had over 70 applications just to work on this one story. Um, and I whittled that down to, I think, a shortlist of six, and I interviewed them. Um, and I very much went, I guess, on my gut in the end, because although there were lots of people from some very posh universities who on paper looked very good, um, in practice, they didn't actually understand how local government worked, and that's what I needed. And so the person I ended up with just had a really great grasp of this really specific area that I was looking for. Um, but it did take a bit of time. So I guess my advice would be very much about finding kind of the right people for that particular project or that particular story. How about yeah. you, Emma? I mean, I suppose, yeah, that makes sense. If you're going to be working with someone, you want to know that they're a good fit for what you're doing. Um, I mean, again, limited experience, but on working kind of with other people on bigger projects, my top tip would be to make sure you are clear sort of who is doing what and by when so that the kind of parameters of the project and who's responsible for which bits um, are kind of set out. I mean, I, I guess it's just like when you have a brief from an editor, it's kind of setting out the expectations and that getting that communication um, going with anyone that you're collaborating with collaborating with to ensure there's no kind of confusion or unfair division of labor kind of get stuff agreed and have those good kind of communication processes in place would be my my tip there yeah definitely okay time for some guests then first we have tina lee hi tina hi thanks for having me you guys so Tina is a freelance journalist based in Berlin and ambassador at Hostwriter, an organisation that helps journalists collaborate across borders. She is speaking at the Freelance Journalism Empowerment Conference on the practicalities of building a cross-border journalism team. So we're really pleased to have her on the podcast. Um, yeah, we are actually, I'm not the ambassador at Hostwriter. I'm the head of the ambassador network and the head of ah, publication Hostwriter. Oh, fantastic. Yes, great. Thanks for, thanks for clarifying that. So we also have with us uh, Sushit Chavez. Hi, Sushit. Hi. Uh, she's an investigative reporter based in El, El Salvador. She reports on justice and organised crime, including drug trafficking routes and homicide rates in Latin America. She's working on transnational stories as part of an eight country cross-border reporting project by Connectas and the International Centre for Journalists. Um, it is currently 6am in El, El Salvador, so we're really grateful that you've taken the time to speak with us today. Okay, now thanks for the invitation. Okay, so we always start an episode with a top tip. So Tina, we're going to come to you first. Um, what is that one key bit of advice that you would give someone, um, perhaps if they're starting to think about how to go about doing collaborative journalism? 
I think the number one important thing uh, is to work on eye level with people, to recognize a certain level of respect. At my organization, we mostly talk about cross-border collaboration, so people from different countries, but even within countries, journalists tend to work with people that look exactly like them, have the same views as them, come from the same racial, ethnic, class background as they do. I would really encourage you to break out of the bubble and work with somebody who's from beyond your group, beyond your country, beyond your set of classmates and work with those people in a respectful and eye-level manner. And you're going to get so much more out of the collaboration if you do that. Yeah, we've talked on various different podcasts before about uh, kind of finding people outside of your uh, initial circle. So that's really good advice. Sushi, what would your be your top tip for a successful collaboration? Well, I, uh, for my experience, I guess the, the main thing that works here is um, to forget about your ego. Uh, the, the sharing in collaboration, collaborative journalism must be, uh, as a colleague says, uh, radical. You, you can't, you can work with uh, a colleague from another country that maybe has um, a different uh, cultural perspectives. That if, if you, you can't work with, with him or her if you are not really open to collaborate. You, can, you, you have to be very honest about uh, what are you going to do in the work and what is he or she going to do and, and what uh, she did or, or, or he did in certain moment. Uh, so you can't hide uh, even the even the most tiny uh, piece of information that you keep from yourself can ruin the whole reporting. So I guess that you um, it, it's just uh, radical sharing. I, I, I really like the phrase the, to understand how you have to work uh, in collaborative, collaborative journalism. Yeah, yeah, that's a really nice phrase. And Tina, perhaps if, if we could bring you in here and ask you a bit more um, about the role of host writer and, and how it helps freelance journalists collaborate. And perhaps could you give us some examples of some collaborations you've been involved in? Right. So HostWriter is an online network. We have around uh, 5,500 members all over the world in 150 different countries. And every one of those members are journalists who are on the platform because they want to connect with others to collaborate. And as every freelance journalist knows, there's a lot of grants and opportunities that people can apply for online, especially for sort of cross-border collaborations, for projects that span uh, multiple different countries. So on our website, and if you join, and any journalist can join for free, um, it's, it's sort of like this book for journalists, except we don't collect any data, so it's quite easy to use, and because of that, you can join and look for people in other countries, um, for instance, saying, okay, I'm coming to El Salvador, I would really love to meet someone to just give me some background on the story I'm working on, to give me some tips on how I can do it, and Sushi, would you be willing to come and meet with me? Or that would be like a really low level of collaboration, right? Just like, let's get some, let's talk about it. Or even I need a place to stay for a journalism conference, which people do on HostWriter as well. But um, beyond that, there could also be a much deeper level of collaboration. Like let's apply for a Rainforest Fund grant together in five different countries. And you can find people on HostWriter that, that will apply for those grants with you. Um, moreover, we have also launched our 
own room that tries to promote cross-border um, collaborative journalism at the moment, of which I'm the editor-in-chief. It's called Unbiased the News. And this is also based off of a earlier collaborative project we had, which was a book that we wrote called Unbiased the News, uh, which was about diversity in journalism and what are the barriers to making journalism more diverse and more uh, reflective of the communities that it purports to represent. Because as we know, British journalism used to be 94% white, is now 97% white, so it's actually getting worse. Um, in India, it's completely dominated by upper castes. In the United States, it's the same thing. So um, it, journalism does actually not have enough people from different backgrounds to be able to cover the wide variety of stories that it would be necessary to do. So that's why we really want people to collaborate in, in that book project, which was an open collaboration. What ended up being really important was to um, allow for people to have, for instance, different levels of English in order to be able to participate. So to be able to offer translation, to be able to offer um, editing assistance and things like that for people who speak English as a second or third language and to not be judgy about that. Because <laughs> if you're going to get a diverse group of people, then you have to also be linguistically diverse. And um, another thing that was really important to that was about that was to um, pay everybody the same, because that is also a real problem in journalism, that um, people are expected to do the same work for smaller amounts of money, depending on what country they come from. And people use the reasoning that, well, the standard of living in your country is blah, so we can pay you less. But when their own journalists go to that country, they also get paid the rates of the home country. So it's, it's nonsensical. I think you have to pay everybody the same amount. And when you're in a collaboration, split the money also 50-50 and not try to haggle about those things like, well, New York is so much more expensive or whatever. Like this is not the eye level that I think is important. So those are a couple of examples. Yeah, I think those are some, some really good practical points there about just kind of, you know, how you organize yourselves and kind of divvying up things like payment. Sushit, can you tell us more about the collaborative work that you've been doing as part of the project with the International Center for Journalists and what, what does this involve? Well, I have worked with uh, some um, um, platforms of journalistic platforms that uh, one of them is uh, Connectas and it's about uh, they, are, they, um, they come together, they, they yeah, include many journalists of Latin American journalists, and then uh, the International Center for Investigative Journalism that in some special projects, and then the clip uh, that is uh, that the translation will be something like the Investigative Latin American Center, something like that. Um, and yeah, I have worked with with them in some projects about uh, migration. Uh, um, some of the projects of, of, of the ICIJ that involves uh, involves um, some research and some investigation about uh, the con the condition of some inmates or, or migrants that are uh, kept in they are they were kept in prison in solitary confinement for many time and then some of the projects of, of um, these famous leaks of, of Panama Papers and I, I'm just I was just doing the the part of of the country that, that I was responsible of it. in that case was uh, Guatemala I guess 
Yeah, right. the Panama Papers is a really good example, isn't there? I think that in the UK that, you know, journalists listening to this will think, oh, yes, you know, lots of newspapers and countries around the world collaborated on this massive project and did different bits depending on where they were based. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the, 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 the key of, of, of everything, I guess, because uh, it sounds pretty, I don't know, difficult to, to, to think about, oh, this project involves uh, 300 journalism. But uh, yeah, you have to understand the main picture of it, uh, but you know, that you are just responsible uh, for the information that involves your country or maybe two countries. But yeah, you have to understand the main picture of everything. Yeah, and I think that's a great example of kind of the benefits of collaboration that even if you're kind of focusing on one little area, it's it's all part of this bigger picture, isn't it? And, and Tina, I believe um, you've said that collaborative journalism is the future of journalism, um, although it might require a, a shift in mindset. So can you tell us why you think it's so important? Yeah, so... Um, I I mean, it's, it's really normal in the journalism field to have this sort of competitive spirit and to have this sort of lone wolf spirit, right? That you want to be the first person to get somewhere. You want to um, do it on your own and get all the credit for it. Uh, but this picture of the kind of, you know, Walter Cronkite in Vietnam telling the truth, being the one who like arbitrates between all the different things, it has never really been accurate. Journalism has always been collaborative, right? You never were actually able to actually do a report without a number of people that were helping. It's just that these people didn't get credit, right? Especially for stories that involved going to another country, reporting on conflict. You were dealing with fixers, you had cameramen and sound men, you had local people that were giving you information about where things could go, but those people were not considered to be doing journalism work. And this is really a big problem in international journalism where it has been kind of the norm that um, large organizations can send someone, they have someone back home who already did all the planning for the trip. They have an associate producer who did all the research and put everything together. They paid for your flight. They paid for your hotel room. You go there, you have a fixer, you might have a translator, you have a driver. All of these people put themselves sometimes into danger in order to do this work for you. And then the story is you standing in front of the camera reporting in the war zone, right? So it's, it's the past has been actually also collaborative journalism that just appeared to be uh, a single person. And the person that got to tell that story also often told what, like two sides, right? So what we now know is that very few conflicts actually do have two sides. That's not usually the truth of the matter. The truth is often much more nuanced, more complex. It is also very difficult to get a full read on a situation by bouncing there for three days, which is what we see reporters do all the time. And it is also uh, extremely unfair to treat one type of journalism as fixer work or stringer work, not pay them as much because they're locals, uh, consider that their expertise is really important for you to have and then pair it to the public, but not let them report on their own countries, right? So the future of journalism, it's not to say that I don't think people should still travel. I think that they should, and I think that people should continue to work. But when you go to another country and report, you should report with a local reporter from that country. The two of you can also do it in two languages to do different audiences. Give that person credit. So I think your story will be better and more nuanced if you work with people that are familiar with the thing that you're actually talking about instead of you trying to get there and get the rap on the whole thing. 
And um, in the future, I also hope that we can be magnanimous uh, enough to also recognize like whatever the profit model was that favored this kind of lone wolf scoop journalism, it doesn't exist anymore. You're not getting anywhere by pretending that you invented certain subjects or that you're the person that discovered it. You might have a phone call or a phone number for a special source or something like that, but every single one of us is building on work that other people have done. And when we erase that work to try to give ourselves more credit, we are making journalism also look like it's a, um, you know, a one person game or something like that. It erases all of the work that goes into every story. Other industries don't do this. You don't see in academia, academia papers are littered with um, with information that points you to where you could find more about each subject, right? Academics do that habitually, but other fields, I mean, law firms, they also bill for all the hours of research that went into everything they do, precedent and things like that. So there's no reason why we have to pretend that we came up with every story on our own instead of pointing to all the work that was done into something. And also that we do actively seek out working with other people so that we can understand and write better stories because the two-sided narrative of the past needs to go away. It was never accurate. It's not accurate now. And it's not a good way to produce the news. I mean, just as a follow-up to that, are there types of stories for which collaboration works particularly well, do you think? I guess that would also be another reason why I say it's the future of journalism, because uh, it is very difficult to find a story. I mean, there are hyper-local stories, absolutely, for which it is very important um, to work just on a hyper-local scale. But think about all the subjects that are like really crucial for the 21st century, migration, global warming, international corruption. There's so many situations where it's actually impossible to write the story while just looking at your own country or just looking at your own locality. There's always another level to it. I mean, some of the stories that we're working on, for example, even when it has to do with like, okay, labor exploitation of a small group of people. The people came from one country. The people that are exploiting them come from a different country. The corporation is registered in a third country. That story has three countries involved just from the outset, even if it's just about one worker that got treated badly. And that's true all the time now. We're too interconnected to not have multiple layers to so many different stories that we do. So like, there are some hyper-local stories that it can be done totally without collaboration. But most of the stories that are really moving the way that our world works are stories that involve multiple companies, multiple countries, multiple individuals. And in that case, if you don't actually know, you know, who is the Hungarian company that was involved here, who's the businessman that comes from Romania that does this, if you're not able to actually have a grip on all these three things, you're not doing the reporting well enough. So why not reach out to people, share the bits of the story, at least that you can both research together and form a collaboration, uh, if, if on nothing else, just an information exchange. And there are lots of opportunities to do that. Arena Housing, for example, is a mailing list where housing advocates can join and share information about the housing market in Europe. And that is also a collaboration, right? People from different countries just sharing the up-to-date information on one certain topic. Or there's deeper collaborations where people really work together. But regardless, I don't think that there's anybody in journalism now that couldn't and get involved in some kind of collaboration that would help them to do their work better. Yes, I mean, I think we've set the scene really well for kind of why we should be doing more collaborative journalism. So I guess for the next bit of the podcast, we need to talk about some of the practicalities around doing it. And Sushi, you've written about digital tools that help you in your reporting. Are there any kind of 
tools, software that you would recommend when working with other journalists? How do you kind of share the work and what you've found and keep in touch with everyone? Yeah, I guess that depends on the, of the context. Uh, because, uh, um, for example, right now I'm working in some stories that involves uh, uh, work with uh, indigenous journalists journalists so uh it's quite difficult because uh, i mean um the, the main uh the communication channel that we we have in 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 this region it's whatsapp you know but in in those in in some areas uh these people doesn't even have a internet connection so you have to 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 guess what what is going better for each story obviously the 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 ideal uh, will be uh, to have a, a private uh, platform for sharing all the the information uh, that works. Uh, that's that's how it works. For example, ICIJ, they have their own private uh, platform that all journalists can share the documents uh, or uh, scripts or everything pictures and they are encrypted and yeah that's the idea but it, it doesn't work the same in every collaboration project so i guess that you have to guess what is better of, um related to the context um but i guess uh, uh i could say that the you have to to be able to use some some kind of uh, communication chat that must be encrypted. Um, uh, that's a basic, I guess. And uh, some some platform that allows you to share information like uh, documents or pictures that works, uh, uh, that was uh, easy to use for every, for every journalist. That, that, I guess that, that will be two basics for work. Yeah, and I guess it's tricky because in different parts of the world, different platforms are kind of, you know, used by, you know, by it's the norm. And then in other places, it might be something completely different. So it's finding the one that is kind of the most universal and that, you know, people have got access to. The other thing I wonder from a kind of freelance journalist perspective is how you actually go about finding other journalists to work with. Because I know with some of the high profile stories, if we think about kind of WikiLeaks and they've worked um, in conjunction with like a number of different newspapers around the world. And you think, well, I, I can kind of see how that would work because that would be all through the sort of hierarchy of, of those newspapers. But as a freelance, I wonder um, how you go about that. And also how do you find the right person or how do you verify that person? Tina, I wonder if, if I could come to you on that one. Sure. I mean, like I said, my pro the uh, company I work for or the organization I work for, Hostwriter, we exist exactly for this, right? We're like matchmaking for journalists. So come on, post on our chat board and say, hey, guys, I want to write a story about, I don't know, um, international um uh, slave trade for the, there was a big journalism fund that was going around for that. Looking for other journalists to work with here would be what I would 
want to talk about. I'm going to focus on Scandinavia or whatever. And then you can find people from other places. Another great way to do to meet people for collaborations is journalism conferences. And it used to be, there were a lot of those and that they were all online. I know that plenty of people though, you know, you go to a talk with someone and say, Hey, I'm working on something really similar. Maybe we want to, you know, it's like start something where we exchange information and you build on that together. Um, It's a little bit like uh, dating or something though. Like, of course you don't rush into a marriage with someone when you just met them for the very first time. However, I do feel that there is a little bit of um, uh, important trust is. I, I still think that you can get into a relationship with someone without having to trust them absolutely when you both do research and are going to write for different um, outlets, right? That you kind of keep, you can keep your information separate. It's also, I think people tend to overvalue how useful the information that they have is <laughs> or something like that and think that like, oh, well, if I work with someone from another country, like what if they steal all my info or whatever? Like, you know, don't put yourself in that kind of situation, but don't also assume that people in different countries are coming after you to get all your useful information because maybe the stuff that you have isn't that great. Um, maybe you're going to get more from working with them than you are going to have like stolen from you. Uh, there's also tends to be a... Um, a feeling that people have that, uh, yeah, that you would need to kind of know someone really, really well in order to work on something with them. And I, I just don't think that in all cases, that's the situation. You work when you're at uni with people in student groups that are not all your best friends and you guys manage to put together a group project, right? And the same kind of dynamics can happen in those situations as well, that you don't get along with someone or you just don't like the way that they work. But as uh, you guys have pointed out in a couple of the different comments here, what you have to gain is also, um, you know, having people with totally different skills, maybe different language backgrounds, totally different contexts, information that could be extremely valued for you to use. So I think that um, when you meet people, it can be good to start off in a loose collaboration and build your way up to a stronger one. For example, like where you both work on one piece, but it's totally possible to have a loose collaboration where you both work on completely separate pieces. For instance, there's a plane crash and there's people from multiple different countries on this plane crash. Journalists all the time will call up and share information with each other, each writing a story about the nationals from their own country that died, right? No one thinks like, how can I trust them? It would be so difficult. <laughs> you, know, like you, you would just do it because you know like, okay, this has to be written really quickly. And the same is true for lots of different situations where um, you can enter in and sort of exchange information and give each other a lot of uh, assistance without necessarily having to work on a project together. If you do work on a project together, then yeah, it would be good to kind of, I think as much as possible meet in person if you possibly can or have uh, worked on them on a looser collaboration before. But I've also worked on um, plenty of things by now with people that I've never met before and had completely great situations. So I think you can judge also people by the quality of their work to a large degree as to how much you want to trust them. Yes, I mean, kind of keeping on the practical um, theme is a question I'm going to ask uh, to both of you actually, actually, but Sushi, I'll start with you. From a practical point of view, how does it work in terms of getting stories commissioned? Do you sort the collaboration first? Are you each pitching different ideas to for stories kind of in your country? Do you keep everybody, do 
do you communicate you know what stories you're writing from this kind of joint project How, you know what order do you do things in as a freelance I, I I don't I I guess I don't understand well understood well the, the the questions can you repeat me please yeah sure I mean maybe actually team if you could answer this first that would help uh, kind of set the scene so yeah as a freelance journalist if you're sometimes we get a lot of questions about what order you do things in so when you pitch do you get the collaboration before you've got a commission vice versa so do you have any I mean it might be that it changes and it differs depending on the project, but do you have any advice on that? First of all, there's a book called Gita F, who is a, um, a journal on cross-border collaborative journalism as a method and lays out exactly all the different ways you can do this. I think that step one is to figure out what kind of collaboration do we want to have? Are we working together to pitch for a journalism fund grant? Are we working together to... Um, produce one story that both of our names are going to be on, or which happens frequently in larger collaborations, we have, let's say, a data set of a bunch of information. We're all going to work together on this data set and pitch our stories separately to our national audiences in our own countries, in our own language. That is like a perfectly valid and also extremely well, uh, often, often occurring form of collaboration as well. But of course, you want to know exactly what kind of collaboration you're in first before you set this up. If you're in a group that is, for example, studying, let's say, uh, gold mining in several different countries, you would want to know exactly what person is doing what for which country. And you would also ideally like to have someone who is kind of a coordinator, who's in the role of coordinating it, everything, telling people when their research should be due by. Um, and also saying, guys, we should start pitching at this date. That would be ideal when we start. Let's get a list of um, newspapers that could be interested in the story and already start for them. So the person who's in this sort of role of the coordinator should be someone that knows everybody in the group, is able to get in touch, maybe is able to kind of uh, store documents. So those would be the things I would um, want to start with is to first figure out what kind of collaboration am I working on here, one that requires the collaboration for all of our, um, or coordination of when we're going to do certain things, or are we just both working on the same information? In which case I can pitch whenever I want. You can pitch whatever you want. It's irrelevant. If you're all working on the same story that everybody has to be really on board with times and dates, in that case, it might be useful to have that role of a coordinator in there. Um, but I also think would be a first important step, which Sujit already just mentioned is figuring out what the digital security situation is going to be for your collaboration. How intense uh, do you need to be about keeping your documents safe? What is the level of, um, of encryption that you would need to have, this kind of stuff? There should be someone in the group, hopefully, that knows a little bit about uh, digital security for journalists. And there are lots of opportunities online, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, that are listening, to go and brush up on your digital security skills, especially in collaborations. Um, so those would be also sort of the, the must from the get-go. And I would also try to be really clear and transparent about the payment situation from the beginning. If you intend to each go your separate ways and write your own separate stories, it may be that someone gets two grand for a story and someone gets 300 bucks for a story. That might be unfair. You guys should talk about that at the beginning. Are we going to try to get one story together where we split the money and um, what, will, what will happen to us if this ends up in this unfair situation? 
And sorry, just one last thing that I think you should always try to get out of the way as you start a collaboration is recognizing that different countries have different journalistic ethics and principles. In Germany, for example, bizarrely, they have something called um, quote approval, where if you have an interview with a high up person like the Ministry of Interior, you send them the contents of the article back for them to approve. Every other country in the world, they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's exactly the opposite of what we want to do. We want to, of course, uh, you know, verify everything that you said, but we're not going to ask you whether or not we can print this now after we already had the interview. That's discussed beforehand. So imagine if you're working with a German journalist and you didn't know that, you're going to be really surprised that the main punchline of your whole article was taken out because the person didn't want it in there. The same is true. Countries have different ideas about using a wire undercover um, they have different libel and defamation laws that can put them at risk. So everyone needs to be really clear. What standard of journalism ethics are we using here? What, what are no-goes for us? And what things might get us sued? And there are resources actually also for all of these um, different topics, if you need advice on any of them, from digital security to legal ramifications of publishing stories about corporations and entities. Um, maybe in the show notes, we can add in a couple. Yes, definitely. We will put those in. We'll have a big long list of resources. Um, Sushit, so is that your experience that you might be writing an article for one, uh, you know, publication in your country and someone else is writing an article for another publication? Um, have you also worked on... Uh, you know, collaborations where everybody's been contributing to the same article, I guess. How does that usually work? Well, um, I, uh, I really like what Tina said, and it's that you must be very clear uh, about that. If someone has collaborated in some article, you must put their credit. It, it, it doesn't matter if uh, this person only wrote one paragraph or just give you one piece of information, one name, one uh, some kind of small data. It doesn't matter because this person has collaborated with uh, with the, the production of, 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 of this piece, right? So uh, you you must be very clear in in, in how do you. Uh, how do you put uh how do you give credit to to the work of these people so um yeah i guess that would be the main thing about it and um uh, and about what we asked before uh i guess it, it it's about um it depends on the of the topic that you are investigating uh that it it the you choose first your colleague or you choose uh, or, or do you think about the topic uh of investigating um i and i guess it uh in here in this region uh, everything is more based on a confidence uh, uh relationship with your colleague uh, i couldn't work with someone that i uh i i don't trust him so yeah and just kind of one final question I wanted to ask both of you was you, you've given lots of kind of really great practical tips about what to think about and how to go about it. But I'm just wondering uh, about sort of troubleshooting and 
kind of maybe some of the problems that you can potentially come across and what you can do about them. Tina, can I come to you first on that? Uh, sure. And actually, I'm doing a workshop at the Freelance Journalism Assembly on this exact topic. So if you are listening to this and have um, a pressing collaboration problem, come to our workshop and we'll chat about it and see if we can solve it. The number one biggest issue that face people face in, um, in collaborative, especially cross-border projects, is inequality and in who is able to travel where. So people from... Um, Western countries are able to basically go wherever they want, and people from other countries have to jump through all sorts of loopholes, get visas, get, um, you know, pay huge fines, go to other countries to get the visa stamp, like all sorts of stuff. So that's a huge issue. So um, one thing that, especially during COVID, where a lot of people couldn't travel at all, it was the first time that a lot of Western journalists realized like, oh shit, it's actually <laughs> a challenge for us now to travel as well. So um, what people then learned is, okay, I, maybe I pitched a story about abortion clinics in Nigeria, and now I'm not able to go to Nigeria to work on that story that I pitched. Well, damn, now I have to collaborate with a Nigerian journalist who's on the ground there that can do that work for me. So what do I actually bring to the table? You know, what kind of research can I do to augment? Because why shouldn't this person just do the story themselves? It also makes you realize how much you have to, how much a lot of times people rely on the privilege of being able to travel to just be able to tell a story like, oh, I happen to be in this country, so let me talk about what's going on with the story. Figure out how to bring something more to the table so that you can, um, that you can collaborate with people that are in those countries and tell a much better, richer story because of it. So I think that that's part of the first challenge of just like, is it enough that I just traveled somewhere? No, it, it should be better, <laughs> ideally a better story than that. Um, another challenge that people have is the one I think that we already talked about, about trust, that people don't know someone, they're from a foreign country, they might be worried like, ooh, can I really transfer them money or can I really trust that they'll get things in on time? And one thing that I think is really important is that you do not automatically trust anyone, that you have your bullshit detectors up at all times. However, have them up for people in your own country too, just as much as you would. Because what we have seen, for example, in the German media is that um, there has been too much trust given to certain people. And because of that, their stories weren't fact-checked. Like, I don't know if you guys heard about this Relocia story where a very famous award-winning journalist was making up stories, uh, interviewing people on the Mexican-US border, although he didn't speak Spanish, although he had just gotten there. People have been trying to tell the story for years and couldn't do it, but he comes in and three days later has a huge amazing story about this but no one fact-checked him because they were like oh i mean he's a white man and he's a famous journalist and he's award-winning so he must know what he's talking about and we tend not to give the same benefit of the doubt to other groups of people that we do give to people who are really confident um so i would say you know for sure be just as untrustworthy or be just as untrusting with everybody but also be open to trusting people despite the fact that they come from a different background as you or, or from a different country. And that um, the, in the ideal situation, if you work with someone who has a different perspective than you do, it is a form of, of fact-checking that can actually enhance from both of your sides. You might not even realize that in your writing, you were amplifying falsehoods in some way because of your perspective. Having someone else from the place or from or as more of an expert on the topic that you're writing about can also help you point those things out. 
So um, yeah, take that head on the lack of trust as an opportunity to really push for better fact checking. I think that that is one way to deal with this sort of trust issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we're, yeah, we have the same issue in the UK with a uh, high profile journalists. We're right in the middle of that with the BBC and the Royal Family at, at the moment. <laughs> um, so Sushit, just bringing that last question to you, um, are there any problems that you have come across whilst working collaboratively? Yeah, I, I guess uh, um, it, it, they are the same, that uh, maybe uh, there are sometimes some cultural biases uh, in, in the relationship with uh, collaborative uh, journalism uh, or project. Uh, but I guess one of the things that has helped uh, me, at least, is to set all the things uh, on first time pretty clear and uh, set all the information in the collaboration in some kind of uh, the, uh, for greeting, you know, uh, that you must, uh, that, that allow you to come back on there and say, oh, excuse me, what we were talking about was about these things and our agreements were this. So yeah, I guess that helps a lot to to avoid all these uh, um, troubleshootings, you know. Yeah, definitely having it down in and sort of an a document that you can refer back to. That's yeah, that's a really good, really good tip. Brilliant. Okay, so we're going to move on to our listener dilemma of the week. This is the section of the podcast where we put our listeners' questions um, to our guests and try to fix a problem that they've been having or just give some feedback. Yeah, so this week the dilemma is from Justine King in our Facebook group. She asks, do any of you have any tips for pitching to a magazine? Uh, for a newbie writer that has never written or pitched to a magazine before, really want to start branching out but haven't done any journalism before or have any formal qualifications. Okay, we all have to start somewhere. So what kind of advice um, can we give Lily to someone who's kind of at the very start of, of doing this work? Um, I think my advice really at, at this point, if they feel that they are new, is, is to actually have a look at themselves and think, do I have the skills for this just yet? Um, I think there is a trend that we're seeing um, that the kind of anyone can just start being a journalist at any point. Um, and to my mind, I think some of the feedback this person got in the Facebook group was actually, well, do you need to go and do some training? <laughs> you know, depends very much what you want to write about, but kind of do your homework really and, and have, a, have a think about, do I need to do some training? Do I actually need to specifically learn about you know what journalism is and how to write before I sort of leap ahead and start pitching to magazines I think it's a case of learning um to walk before you can run um with me on this one I don't know whether you'd agree with that Emma yes I would I mean we've done our episode on training and qualifications where we talked about the fact that you don't necessarily need a journalism degree to go into journalism but that's not to say that you can just think to yourself, I want to start writing for Vogue and off you go. Um, I mean, one thing that I would say is just to try and get lots of 
practice and trying different styles of writing. And that might be working for more local publications, smaller publications, websites where you can um, sort of have a go where it's a bit of a training ground where you can have a go at um, articles and get things get things published um, in kind of, uh, you know, lesser well-known magazines or free online websites, get things published and so that you have a portfolio to show to someone. It's quite, I mean, I doubt that anyone would be able to just pitch an idea to a magazine without any evidence that they have previously written for magazines or done any journalism. And so it's, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of finding your feet on the training front. Um, do either of our guests have anything to add to what we've said there, Tina? I think it's interesting that you guys have the impression that people um, that people find it easy to become journalists because obviously there's so many people uh, that find it really difficult to break into this field. And the fact that the, especially um, British, but also United States uh, field is so dominated by white people and people that went to like large uh, upper-class universities, obviously most people actually feel that they can't be journalists, right? It's one group of people who really feels that they can. Um, but yeah, I think one of the problems, in my opinion, a real problem with journalism is people not being judged on their writing skills, but being judged on where they have published before. And it is extremely difficult to get that first byline. As you said, you can't just jump into Vogue. They're going to want to see that you've uh, published somewhere else. But if you never, if you don't know anybody in the field, if you don't have the right connections, it can be extremely difficult to get that first big name legacy media outlet. A lot of people never do. And um, that is a barrier that I think favors and that have someone who they know that works there or who have been able to do unpaid internship scheme at big name newspapers or things like that. And very much disfavors people who are not, who didn't go to the same journalism schools and don't run in the same circles as, um, as the people that they're pitching to. And I think that that barrier is very unfortunate, but maybe that's also where the building up your skills thing can come in handy and maybe that's also where collaborative journalism can come in handy because there are plenty of people who are looking to collaborate for a first-time journalism grant from all over the world they're not going to judge you based on the fact that you don't have a byline in the guardian and maybe that's where you get started and uh, and have a chance to do something really great and a lot of these journalism grants are quite well paid and they reward having a great idea and a great team assembled so even if you don't have a great byline can you start working with other people who do have good bylines can you try to get in that way Maybe that's another possibility. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really valid point. Um, and it, yeah, that's kind of like what I did with my um, FOI um, story was bringing in someone who didn't have any bylines um, anywhere who who wouldn't have really been ha had that opportunity to do that. So yeah, I think it it can be a really good way in or or, or working. Yeah, we, alongside freelance journalists, maybe through kind of work experience, and we've got a, a scheme that that hooks them up um, for that as well. Um, Sushit, I wonder if you've got any further advice um, on sort of how to pitch to magazines. I guess uh, that it, it will it will help it will help a lot to think outside the box, uh, think about mm, in something that no one has done yet and and that's a pretty difficult thing because no one is going inventing nothing right now but 
if you think in some uh, in, in in some scope that no one of your region has uh, taken in account in some project that will be that will help. Uh, I mean, uh, Tina said that, uh, for example, United States journalism is uh, dominated by white people. Think about how uh, or ask to someone that is not white how they would do it because they have all they, they have another cultural and context that will help you to see the things differently that and maybe that will help to uh, uh, I don't know make a better project or make a better pitch yeah yeah definitely excellent advice there thank you very much so time to bring this episode to a close thanks so much to Tina and Suship for coming on and sharing their expertise Yes, that was so interesting and it's definitely got me thinking about possible collaborations. And um, if you want to know more about us, including how to sign up to our newsletter, then head to freelancingforjournalists.com. Also come along and follow us on Twitter where we're at Freelancing4 and you can also follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And head over and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. You may even find some people in there that are willing to collaborate. And you can also hunt us out on Instagram. Um, if you feel like giving us a thumbs up or a review um, on the podcast, uh, or even a shout out on social media, we love to hear your feedback and it helps us to spread the word. And we just want to say thank you to our series producer, Anthony Coots and also to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our intern, Freddie Hall. Yeah, so we'll be back with another episode next week. Goodbye for now. Bye.